Right, there we go. There we go. Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome, welcome, welcome to uh, Filling the Gap with me, Dwayne van Rensburg. And I am so, so, so excited to spend the the next few minutes with you, or should I rather say the next hour with you, right here on Radio Pulpit, 6.57 a.m. I'm excited tonight, as uh, tonight we are joined by none other than the legend, my friend, and uh, I call her a legend, and I call her my friend. I'm pretty proud of that, uh, just because she's a child of God, outspoken about Jesus Christ, and that makes me so, so, so excited to welcome her on air tonight. So I'm not going to delay too much. I think we should jump straight into it, and uh, let's say hello. I think you guys know who this is by now. If you don't, let's see. Hello, Rev. How are you? <laughs> hello, Duane. Hello, Duane. I'm great, and... Um a great big hello to all the listeners out there. And yeah, listen, if there's any legend in me, there's, he's definitely in me. <laughs> I don't know about being a legend, but I do carry a legend. Uh, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. <laughs> of course, you're always going to have a comeback, huh? Always. <laughs> yeah, listen, you know, we just got to stay with our feet stuck to the ground. And get on with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Rev, we have got a once again a jam-packed evening planned, and um, I think one of the most exciting things for me, um, spending time with you on air, is the fact that whatever we do, yeah, don't end, yeah. Um, I like the fact that yeah. we are putting this into podcasts and we are distributing this, and it reaches way further than just the radio pulpit community. Um, okay. So, before we talk about tonight's topics. Riff, my church got so informed by our previous shows that they all went and they they tried to make a difference. What can you tell us about the Papura Bowl and about the due dates and stuff like that? Because I know that all has passed now. Yeah, it's all passed. And um, the information we got back is that the deputy minister is saying that she's looking at it and they did receive an enormous amount of submissions. And I mean, it's promising. I don't want to say that, you know, there's going to be a change, but I think the number of submissions have caused them to pause and stop and think. So we haven't had any formal feedback, but what we do know is that there were a whole lot more submissions which were against the Papuda bill. And I don't think they expected that response. So that was extremely encouraging. And I want to encourage the body of Christ to keep it up. Don't slack and say, oh, yeah, no, we won a little victory. First of all, we haven't won it. Second of all, even if we win it, it's not reason to be complacent and be in your comfort zone in the beginning and explain what the implications are, etc. So I don't know, maybe next time, can we focus on the firearm specifically? Absolutely, we can. Yeah. I think, I think, Rev, I think there's so much, there's so much things said in public yeah. that, that you don't yeah. know what to believe anymore. No, absolutely. Especially in this time of COVID, there's so many theories and misinformations out there. And, you know, people use the media and social media in particular to spin their own narrative. So that's why, as the church, we need to be very well researched and very well informed so that we're not deceived by by narratives that have been cleverly, you know, um, made up by people who have their own agenda. We have to be careful. I mean, the Bible specifically tells us that, you know, the enemy's agenda is to steal, kill and destroy. And deception is his number one modus operandi. And so we need to be alive and alert to the truth and stand for the truth and speak the truth. And, And that responsibility is on us to look for the truth and stand with the truth, yeah. But I I thought that maybe in this session, you know, Dwayne, what I really wanted to do, you know, most of the bills, the key bills that we've been running after and talking about the Single Marriage Act and the Papuda Bill, the, the deadlines have actually passed. You know, they were 30th of June. And there's no major, major bill really that's up for for discussion with a time deadline right now but what i i thought we could do right now is you know one of the things that has happened with this covid and covid challenge is that um it has now emphasized why we need to not only know the laws but why we need to participate in the laws it's really emphasized the importance of legislation 
And as you and I have discussed so many times, the church has been asleep. The church has been complacent, going to services on Sunday, singing hymns and shaking, you know, under the so-called anointing, getting up and going home, but not being effective insofar as legislating is concerned. And I think that now we can see, if we look at all that's happened in the past, I don't know, how many days has it been since lockdown? 400 and something days, I think, Mm, right? Yes. Yeah. The church has not been participating in the lawmaking business. But we need to remind ourselves, as we've done so many times on this program, that the importance of legislation is that legislation effectively determines what you can and what you cannot do. So if the law criminalizes a behavior, you cannot do it. Uh, If you go out there and the law says you must wear your seatbelt and you don't wear your seatbelt, you can be arrested, fined, and even thrown in jail. So the law essentially determines our behavior. It determines our conduct. It determines what we can do, what we cannot do. And I think over the past almost two years, with the COVID regulations being passed, we now know that, you know, the power of legislation, because we have effectively been stopped from doing a lot of things. Our whole lives have changed because of the legislation. And in our instance, you know, the the, the, the legislation that was passed in South Africa was the Disaster Management Act. Mm. That Disaster Management Act effectively changed our whole lives. Mm. It effectively changed because what it did, what it did was that disaster, and you need to understand the power of that act. It is so powerful that it has the ability to suspend rights that were given to us in the Constitution. It has literally allowed. Now, we have some rights, fundamental, basic human rights in the Constitution. And we know that in normal times, the Constitution is the highest, most supreme law of the land. No one can take away our rights. And we have rights, for instance, such as freedom of association or freedom of assembly or freedom of speech or freedom of religion. And guess what? This Disaster Management Act has allowed for the suspension of of all those rights because now freedom of association and assembly, we can't just assemble any way we want to. I mean, currently now, under the current level three regulations, you cannot assemble more than 50 people in any gathering, whether it's political, whether it's religious, whether it's social the most you can gather is 50 people indoors and 100 people outdoors. So it's regulating how you gather, how many people can gather. It has suspended your right of freedom of assembly and of association. Um, talk about the right of freedom of a speech also, which is entrenched in as a fundamental right in the Constitution. Well, guess what? Uh, there's a provision Also, that says, as part of the COVID regulations, that you cannot circulate false information. Mm. So you can't just speak anyhow. And if you circulate misinformation or false information, you are liable to be fined and or thrown in jail. Mm. So that has also infringed on your fundamental right of freedom of speech. Mm. Let's talk about freedom of religion, Mm. which is a really sore point for many in the body of Christ, because again, you know, uh, freedom of religion, we are limited in terms of how many we can gather, Mm. in terms of uh, we don't have the liberty to worship. And many large churches in particular are very upset because when you pass a, a, a blanket number like 50 for everybody, and there are some large so-called mega churches which are complaining because they're saying, listen, we have the space to accommodate, to social distance, to be able to social distance and accommodate half of the people. Maybe instead of, um, you know, our normal 5,000, we can accommodate 1,000 and still be social, you know, socially distanced and all that. So this 50 rule is, is, is upsetting a, a, a lot in the body of Christ, etc., so I just wanted to show us that, look, um, we, we have seen how our lives have changed. Our lifestyles have completely, completely changed. 
And this is the power of law. Overnight, one act, one piece of legislation, the Disaster Management Act, effectively changed our lives for the last, you know, 18 months or, or more. We've not been able to do anything. The COVID regulations all take their power from this Disaster Management Act. They, they make you wear a mask. They make you isolate. They, they can make you stay in your house between certain hours. Like now the curfew is between 10 and 4 a.m. So you're not allowed. If you are find, found outside your house in those hours, you can be arrested. You can be fined. So um, our whole way of operating, Dwayne, has become different. It's changed the way that we live our lives and the way that they managed to do that was by using the strong arm of the law, the strong arm of legislation. So the, I really wanted us as the body of Christ now to take the lessons learned from this so that when we come out of this lockdown time, we are effectively able to say, what are the lessons that we've learned from, from mm. this? What are the lessons that we've learned from this? The first lesson like I've said, must be understanding the power of law, understanding legislation. So what do we need to do as a body of Christ when we go out of here? We cannot operate as, as simpletons, as, as people who just come to church just to sing. We need to make sure that we are involved in this legislative making thing. So number one, as churches, whatever church, whatever denomination you belong to, as the body of Christ, pastors, I want to challenge pastors out there to make sure and to encourage your congregants. Don't just preach about going to heaven one day. You know, the Bible said to us in Luke 19, 13, we must occupy and do business until he comes. And part of that occupation means read the law, know it, and participate in making legislation. So I'm encouraging pastors out there you know, your sermons shouldn't just be about prosperity. We've been talking this prosperity and preaching about, about wanting a bigger house and bigger car and everybody saying amen, because all they're focused on is on material goods and material possessions and getting promotions in the job. No, as a responsible and accountable pastor, our messages need to change to address the social issues if we are not addressing the social issues, then we are not fulfilling our mandate because our mandate is the body of Christ. And, and, and um, you know, in, in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, it says the fivefold ministry role, the role of the fivefold ministry, whether you're an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher, your role, it says that Jesus gave gifts unto men at, when he ascended to heaven. The, and the, these gifts are called ascension gifts, you know, uh, and, and these are the fivefold ministry. And, and the reason why Yeshua gave those gifts to men is so that anyone who is in that office is supposed to teach, is supposed to train, is supposed to equip and activate the church, the church, the saints to do the work of the ministry. So if you are in any one of those offices you're calling, yourself an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or whatever, your role is to teach, train, and equip the church. So that is a challenge I want to throw out there to pastors out there who are leading congregations, who are leading assemblies, that we can't just be preaching about going to heaven. We can't just be preaching about money and prosperity and declaring wealth on people. We need to teach and train and, and activate the church to get involved in legislative making, to get involved in the law making process, to make sure that when there's a bill coming up for consideration and the public are invited, your responsibility as a, as a pastor is to actually make sure that your congregation is informed. That in, in many of the many pastors out there will say, oh, no, 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 I don't want to be political. I don't want to be political. Listen, you as an ecclesia, the ecclesia, which is the church, mm. is supposed to be a legislative-making body. Yes. It is a group of separated, uh, consecrated people out there who are supposed to be making legislation and who are supposed to be God's national assembly out there. So you cannot 
remove yourself from the legislative making process by saying, no, politics, we don't, church and politics don't mix. No, we have to go out there and we have to resist laws. We are supposed to be the salt. We're supposed to be the light. So we must resist laws that are unethical. We must resist laws that are immoral and, and, you know, endangering the lives of our children for the future. We must resist laws that, that enable and empower corruption you know, that's the global trend. The global trend around the, the world and the nations is to pass, is to legislate immorality, to legislate immorality, teaching our children to masturbate, teaching our children that they can be any gender that they want. All those things is to legislate unethical and immoral behavior and to criminalize everything that is ethical, like preaching, um, like you know, preaching about sin or anything that is now being criminalized under hate speech bill. So as the church and the body of Christ, we need to um, stand up against this. But I've been talking for a long time, so um, I'll, I'll still say some more stuff, but <laughs> probably but I think you need to en- engage. I'm sure people are tired of hearing my voice. Oh, <laughs> never, never, never. We just love it. We can hear the passion. Rev, can I tell you what is of great concern to me? And yeah, um. The, the the sad part is that I've got I've got pastors, friends, people that, that yeah. pe- people that stand behind a pulpit that's tuned in tonight that may be angry at me for what I'm saying, but I wasn't called okay. to this, I wasn't called to this world to be popular. I was called to this world to be yeah, popular. No. And, and, and something for me that is of great concern is we are talking about tonight about the church's responsibility in general. How we should yeah. deal with these legislative matters and our responsibility, our godly biblical responsibility yeah. towards these things. But Rev, I have a great concern because I'm aware of certain pastors and certain churches that, yeah. that can't even follow the COVID protocol. And, and, and yeah. you gotta understand me correctly. I understand pastors. Yeah. I'm one myself. I understand the financial impact of not having a church. But for me, that is a totally different topic. Um, I know of specific pastors, without mentioning names on air, of course, but, but pastors that said that we don't care what the government says, we will have our church open. Um, we don't care what government says, we will not only be 50. Pastors that strategically put the congregation in the church, but they put the camera at such angle, and then they lie to the people online saying that I've got no people in church. They don't even wear masks. Now, this for me is a a basic principle, public principle, but if they can't even follow the the guidelines of COVID, how are we expecting them to follow and support legislation in our country? Yeah, I mean, that's a real challenge. And I mean, I do want to say this. Uh, one thing I will say, has the government uh, targeted the church, undermined the church and all of this? I, I would say mm. yes. I mean, yes. in the first instance, they've never consulted us. Kogta, in a, in a country, in a nation that's 80% Christian, Kogta should have actually had, you know, the same way in CSE, they never consulted us. They lied and said they consulted the church. They didn't. And then when they, they called us for consultation after they'd already decided, they didn't, they just told, called us as religious leaders to tell us what they were going to do with CSE. So it, there's a history of government undermining the church. And I think in the first instance, Kogta and our honorable minister, you know, who's responsible for Kogta, our honorable Nkosazana Zumadlamini, I mean, she, she needs to understand and the other leaders that this is an 80% Christian nation. So there is a need to consult the church and allow the church to have a voice and to say something. So I wanted to start off by saying that it is true that we've been undermined. It is true that we've not been consulted. It is true that they've not given us a voice, but that's because sometimes we've not been a voice, you know. Um, does that mean we have to be irresponsible? Mm. No. We, it's not justification for being irresponsible. It's not justification for putting our congregants at risk. So we have to be careful that we balance the two. That in as much as whether they are, there are legal routes through which we can still be a voice. And um, I think we also need to be careful as a church 
about, um, you know, we've just had an instance where there's looting. We've just had an in, in, instance where there's rebellion and strife and sabotage and a whole rebellious spirit released in the nation. So I would say this as the church, that it is possible to resist um, inequity and injustice without encouraging irresponsible behavior, mm. without encouraging irresponsible behavior. So that's what, you know, we need sure. to pray for, to say, God, give us that grace that we don't become like those who have been looting, that we don't become those who are engaged in criminal behavior, but that we stand on the side of righteousness um, we stand on the side of speaking truth. And let me give you an example by what I mean. Look at the instance of um, of uh, apartheid in, in uh, what do you call it, in, in America. The other day I posted something on Facebook. And I posted two different pictures. One picture was a picture of Martin Luther King in the United States of America with his wife, Coretta Scott King, with Reverend Jesse Jackson, all of them at participating in a peaceful march, mm. in a peaceful march. And they marched out there. There was no violence. And, and, and Martin Luther King was very, very clear about not encouraging violence. He said, this is a peaceful demonstration. Mm. And they were walking arms linked, walking no violence. And then I posted another picture of our own situation in South Africa with everybody looting. You know, going in there, looting, stealing, etc. So I posted the two pictures together. And, and I said in that post, I said, picture number one, I said, this is a demonstration, is a peaceful demonstration. And I said, the second picture is looting. It's criminal behavior. Mm. It's mm. criminal behavior, which can never be justified. We can never justify criminality under any, any. So that's all I'm saying to the body of Christ to uh, the church is that um, it, where there's a need to resist and to be a voice, let's do it without encouraging or engaging in criminal behavior. Let's do it with understanding of uh, the scriptures that say, you know, um, pray for your leaders, all of that. We pray for them and, our, and all those who are in authority. But definitely um, we do not have, we, we cannot encourage criminality criminal behavior, all those things. So we stand for righteousness, we stand for truth, and we stand for justice, but without encouraging criminality and criminal behavior. That is not our role. We're supposed to be demonstrating and exhibiting and being role models of righteousness, which means right standing. So let's let's try and balance those things. Yeah. Oh, Rev. Just before before we go for a break, just our last discussion point, and I actually want to hear your view on this. Isn't it isn't it a sad reality that usually the minority rules, which is which is actually so weird. Um, if you take, for example, in a classroom, there's thirty kids in the classroom, but it takes one naughty kid to influence yeah. the entire class. If we take South Africa, I really feel at this point in time that. W we are Christians because that is the status on our Facebook. But if we are 80% plus Christians, and yeah. why, why don't the majority stand up? We just saw what communities can do to even the police. The police can't even overshadow the communities if we stand up for what's right. Yeah. Why is the majority yeah. quiet? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a very good question. And I think there are a number of reasons for it. First of all, like I've always said, it starts with the church not even knowing her own mandate. You know, that's mm. why that's why this program is so important, Dwayne, mm. because it explains the original purpose and blueprint for the church. And what God was when he he talked about the church, when he gathered the church and and made a group of of, of people, it, it talks about what God had in mind. He didn't have in mind bringing together people who will just sing and 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 you know and all those things are important fellowshipping is important singing worshiping prophesying is important but all of that we come there to church to be taught to be equipped to be edified so that when we leave the service on sunday on monday we go out there as salt to bring transformation to bring change to change the laws and the policies so church is not about going to a building 
on one particular day. It's about going to a place to get edified. It's like a one-stop engine stop. You know, like you go to take the car to get gas to fill up so that now you can travel. But you don't fill up a car just to go and park at the side. And this is what the body of Christ has been doing. We go every week to go and fill up on gas, to go and get edified and prophesy. And then we park the car. I mean, who fills a car to go and park it in the garage? And this is exactly (laughs) what the church has been doing. Every week, but without fail, we go for service to fill up the car and then we park it in the garage. So this must change. And this is one of the lessons that we must learn. Coming out of this, um, we must make sure that we're a legislative body. We must make sure that we watch the government and hold them accountable and responsible. All these rights of ours, the right to freedom of association, to assembly, to speech, you know, freedom of speech, the right to freedom of religion, all these rights that have been suspended. As the body of Christ, we must be the watchdog. We must be the watchmen standing on the gates, possessing the gates. We must hold them accountable. We must make sure that when lockdown is over, those, those, all those laws are suspended. We must hold the government, political leaders accountable, the three arms of government accountable. We know that it can be done. You know, we've talked about the independent candidates case where my good friend Michael Lewis, you know, took, took, took the matter to court. Uh, he lost it in the Western Cape High Court. He pursued it in the Constitutional Court and the Constitutional Court had to agree with him to say that every South African citizen has a right to run as an independent candidate. Look, this is just one man who rose up because he found uh, the Frederick van Slabert report and he decided to pursue it. And he poured his own personal and private money into it. And and he pursued it and he won the case. If Mm. one person can do this, Dwayne, Mm. One person, what, like you say, what would happen if we all got up? Mm. I mean, the Bible tells us in, in Acts that 12 men, it says they turned the world upside down mm. in Acts 17. Mm. That they turned the world upside down, which actually they were making it right side up, really. I mean, <laughs> the, the upside down. Yeah, the upside down, because that was the secular people who were accusing them of making it upside down. So just 12 men. 12 men. Jesus released, he didn't have a, 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 you know, he released 12 disciples out there. And, and they were able to make such an impact. So if each and every one of us were to fulfill our responsibilities and pastors were to understand what their calling is, is not to call on Sundays. Your calling is not to, to raise offerings and tithes. Mm. Your calling is to teach, train, equip, activate the saints, to know what's going on, to educate them. And what we need to do as a body of Christ is we need to get out of the reactive mode. We must stop reacting. And, you know, because now things are now problematic. We need to move from being reactive to become proactive. We need to stop reacting and we need to respond. There is a difference between reacting and responding. Reacting comes out from from emotionalism. When you react... It's, it's, it's not thought out. It's not strategic. You just are emotional and you react anyhow. There's no real food. But response, you are intentional. You are purposeful. You are, you know, mm. you, 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 you have a strategy in terms of how to. So we need to move from reacting mm. to now responding to the situation and then even moving to a place where we're proactive. We have the capacity and the ability to anticipate issues, to anticipate problems. We have teams out there, lawyers who will address the issue. We, we have doctors there who will address the COVID issues and and sift between truth and lies. We need to have a plan of action and a strategy because God's already given us all the blueprints there. So that's what we need to do. And um, I, 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 when are we, when are we closing the session? Is are we closing at eight or seven thirty? At eight, we still have half an hour, but we gotta oh, okay. take, but we, but we okay. do have to take a break. Okay, at let's some have stage. our break then. 
All right, okay, I'm, no, I'm actually I'm actually very excited back. about at the back end of the show because we're actually going to talk about the responsibility yeah. of the church. Yeah. And for me, this is very important. My people will perish due to lack of knowledge. We have now gone through yeah. this. Have we gained knowledge? Because the, the churches yeah. that, that don't do anything about this when they go back will perish. But the churches that take Absolutely. this knowledge, and I'm excited. Let's, let's take a short break. I, mean, I, I chose a short sure. song because I know that people love listening to you, Rev. So <laughs> let's do a short song. And that's it. You've got it. It's Filling the Gap with me, Dwayne von Rensburg, and I shouldn't say my guest. I should say my co-host by now because um, that is what she should be. In fact, my mom just sent me a message. Now, I know my mom loves me, and I know that there's no pun intended on that, but she says, Dwayne, just let Paul Coupe talk. Put on a mic and allow it to just go. I love the lady. So, uh, Rev, you got to meet my mom. She loves you. I, I have to meet mom. I mean, I'm already in love with her. Just um, ask her to organize me some cook sisters. You know what, Nay? You don't want cook sisters. <laughs> so, uh, what I, do I, want? I, I probably shouldn't say this on, um, on air, but um, <laughs> my other radio pulpit presenters need to drive into studio. I'm fortunate having my own studio. And Ooh. in our first 10 minutes, I got a knock on the window yeah, behind me, and I opened up the curtain, and my dad was standing outside the window with a plate of food. So, so I'm in studio. I'm having a chicken briani in the one side of the Ooh. plate and a lamb briani on oh. the other side. So, oh my goodness, she does briani. That's my favorite. Listen, we're I'm gonna, your mom's best friend. So, so next time we're doing this, yeah, we're not doing it over Zoom because then you we can eat. No, as a blifter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rev. So we've got about twenty minutes left, and we specifically spoke yeah. before the break for the people that just tuned in. We spoke about. Um, the church has a responsibility at this point in time yeah. after all the bulls and we need to spend some time as a church um, and, and, yeah. and, and take the responsibility that God has given us. What is that responsibility yeah. that you are referring to? Yeah. Well, the, the responsibility for, first of all, we talked about responsibility for knowing what's happening out there. So there's a responsibility for us to know about the laws, what bills are going to be promulgated, getting involved in the process, and for the pastors to also lobby their congregations in that regard. It is our responsibility. And one of the things that I really love about you, Dwayne, is that like me, you don't, you're not satisfied by just talking. It's not just enough to talk about issues, because I know we had this conversation before. And you talked about, you know, how can we get into the churches practically? How can we take this a step further? And that's what we need to look at. We need to be strategic in the session. And we can't just be random, react, you know, randomly reacting here and there. Oh, there's a fire. There's another legislative fire. Here's the act. Ah, go call God's people. Here's another act. There are going to be many acts over the time. So we need to prepare for that. And I want to throw out there what I call, I mean, in fact, the two of us, Dwayne, we need to do this. We need to throw out, you know, you, have you seen all these challenges out there on social media? Absolutely. Hashtag challenges. I mean, you know, like the Jerusalem challenge. Have you done that challenge? Absolutely. We should actually embrace that do church challenges. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to suggest, to say that I want to do a hashtag church challenge. And the church challenge is really focused on um, making sure that the congregation understands legislation, understands the importance of it, is involved, and has a strategic response to legislation. So hashtag church challenge for me would involve things like where a pastor could actually appoint somebody, somebody, one person in your congregation who would be that contact person? So, for instance, Dwayne, if we were to mobilize and get the addresses and stuff of all the churches out there, whenever there there is you your podcast, just like this, if you have one person, the email or contact number of one person in the church, you just can send them the podcast like that in terms of mm. educating them. Mm. That person doesn't need to be a lawyer. They don't need to be a lawyer. They just need to be a conduit, a contact point where anything that pertains to law, to legislation, they are the contact person. And, and, and so that's my first challenge is to get somebody, organize somebody, appoint, assign somebody as a contact person dealing with this portfolio of legislation. 
Um, and then when you have that person, we have the personnel. We work with a lot of people. It's not just me. Um, we work with, with many, many legal groups. There's Cause for Justice. There's 4SA. We have the manpower to come to you and to, to, to teach, train, equip you. So organize seminars. That's number two. I've said, first of all, appoint somebody. Appoint somebody who we can work with, whose, whose main assignment will be to look out for these laws and, and to help develop a program around it. Number two, like I said, specifically schedule, schedule two or so seminars, workshops, teaching about law and the importance of law. Schedule that in. All the pastors there, you schedule, um, and it's good. We have marriage retreats. We have youth retreats. We have all these different kind of retreats. But how about arranging two retreats that have to do with law, which can affect your lifestyle, what you can or cannot do? Those are just as important, if not more important, to have those retreats where you know what the law is and mobilizing your congregation into, uh, into action. And um, yeah, so we need to do that. The pastors need to mobilize the church in your websites. You need to include a little portion, uh, relegate or have a specific area where on your website, you know, we have all these other things, evangelism and everything. All that is great. But have a little section where people can go to the website and actually be updated. They can click there and they can see what the Papuda bill is. They can click there and they can see what the Single Marriage Act is. All of that. Dedicate a portion of the section of your website. So these are just some ideas I'm throwing out there. But sit down as a body, as a, as a church to say and to purposefully and intentionally say that, listen, we are going to be a part of the, the legislation makers. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to develop a strategic plan. We're going to have our resource person who is going to help us develop this. We're going to have um, joined to people who can teach, train, equip us. We're going to have a specific program around this. So many seminars we're going to allocate per year, but have a plan of action. So that is my challenge really to the churches out there. Hashtag church challenge. We cannot be haphazard anymore. We cannot be random anymore. God was very strategic in the beginning. When he created the world, he did not create it in a haphazard way. He had day one and he was very purposeful and intentional about day one. He said, let there be, you know, he said he planned, he implemented, he monitored. He said, it's very good. And he did that on day two again. He implemented, you know, the three uh, part Godhead of, of God. They each had responsibilities. The God, the father, you know, declared the word. Holy Spirit took the word and activated it. And Yeshua also, they all had their responsibilities. There was strategic, there was strategy and there was plan of action. And at the end of the day, God looked at everything. He said, it's very good. He evaluated everything. He was purposeful and intentional. He was not haphazard and random. And that's what he expects of the church, that we must be purposeful. We must have a strategy of how we legislate and stop this thing of reacting when there's another bill and we run around like crazy people trying to gather a few a thousand signatures, etc. No, we must be intentional. We must look at other nations to see, you know, I, you know, when I started talking about the hate speech bill, um, uh, Dwayne. I first wrote an article about the hate speech bill eight years, I think nine, eight or nine years ago in Move magazine. I did a three-part series on the hate speech bill and warning. And you know, you know what made me write on it? Because the hate speech bill only came into play in the last year or two years yeah, is nice. when the hate speech bill. But eight years prior, nine years prior, I wrote a, two, three articles on it. You know why? Because I was watching the trends. I was watching what was happening in the United States. Mm. Oh, yes. And nine, 10 years ago, the United States was already going through that hate speech bill where pastors were being imprisoned for preaching sin, which was now defined as hate speech. And I knew that sooner or later, this bill, because there's a trend of legislating immorality and criminalizing 
morality. So I knew it's only a question of time that this hate mm. speech bill was going to come to South Africa. And indeed, it did come. So we need to be able to look at other nations, prepare ourselves for that response. When government wants to try and infringe on our freedom of religion rights, we need to be ready. We need to be ready and stop with the reactive stuff and be ready. Have our teams there. Have our 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 our, our messages there. Have our websites ready up there. But we cannot afford to be like the five virgins who had no oil mm. because that's how we're behaving. There was five who were ready. Their lamps were lit. They were ready. But there's another five who were just like, oh, you know, and that's the way we're behaving, like those five virgins with no oil. And then it's it's late. When it's time, mm. you know, it's like, oh, oh, my gosh, let's go to the shops and get oil. Well, that has been our response. Let's go to the shops and get oil. But CSE is already in. Let's go to the shops and get oil. But, you know, mm. laws of abortion have already passed. All of, I mean, we always react when it's too late. And so my encouragement to the church is we can't afford to act like those foolish virgins. We, we are not foolish. We must act as a united body. We must act strategically. We must develop blueprints and, and plans of action mm. that we can implement. We must become those legislators that God has ordained us to be, the ecclesia, the ekkaleo, the called out ones who've been called for a purpose, called to be part of the national legislative making and to function and operate as God's national assembly on earth. This is the mandate of the church. This is the calling of the church. And in this season, we must rise up to be that influential, flavorful and flavorsome salt. We must rise up to be that light which confronts and pushes back darkness. Matthew 5, 13 and 14, we must live out in this season and stop being cowards, stop being complacent, stop being lazy, but we must rise up and fulfill our kingdom mandate and kingdom agenda. So that's my appeal to the pastors out there. Let's be strategic. Let's help one another. Let's formulate a plan of action. Let's assign people and place resource people on these issues. And let's get it together, family. Let's get it together. <laughs> All right, Rev. So we've got about eight minutes left. And just before I let you go, about a couple of months ago, we also did a show. And then I t took that podcast and I sent it to a couple of pastors. And it actually saddens me to say that one of those pastors came back to me and said that this has got nothing to do with the church. I'm not going to turn my church into a political party. My response, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, and my response to that was eventually in the end, if you go have a look at all these amendments, all of these strings yeah. are directly attached to the church. If we go have a look at the CAC, if we go have a look at the abortions, if we go have a look, we are the pastors, yeah. with all due respect, that's doing the, the counseling and the funerals. If you go have a look at yeah. every single one of these amendments, it all boils back to the church. We have a yeah. godly responsibility when it comes to the sexual education at school. We have a responsibility because Joyce Meyer said that if you do not educate your child, the world will do it for you. We are allowing Absolutely. this, and we can make a difference. Yeah. What's, what's your response yeah. to that, Rev? Well, I, you know, like I always say, anybody who doesn't want to get involved in legislative matters doesn't understand the mandate of the church because, you know, I mean, people need to go and study what the word ecclesia means. When Yeshua was saying, I will build my church, my ecclesia upon this rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was not saying, I will build a building where people will come in and just sing. He was saying, I will build my generation of people who have been set apart and consecrated, who know the kingdom mandate and will legislate on my behalf. So if you understand the original mandate and word of ecclesia, which is a Greek word, um, you cannot say, you cannot make a statement like that. Secondly, um, in, in, in terms of the other thing I would say is when you separate yourself from such, such things and such mandates that God has given you, and you say, I'm not going to turn my, my whatever it is into political, etc. One day you'll wake up and you'll have no church because the government would have effectively taken away all your freedom of religion rights, etc., your right to worship, etc. And one day, the church which you are saying you want to operate like this, you will find actually 
you're not even able to operate that church because you've not stood for the assignment, the, the, the assignment to possess the gates, the mandate to possess the gates, the mandate to occupy and do business, the mandate to subdue and take authority. You've not stood for that. And so the enemy has come in like a flood, like a thief to steal, kill and destroy. And the enemy has taken your rights away, your freedom to worship, your freedom to congregate, your freedom to assemble, your freedom to preach the gospel. The enemy has taken away and eroded all those rights just simply because you don't know your your mandate as, as, as originally intended by God. And one day you wake up and find that you can't do any of those things. It's happened in many nations. Mm. There are many nations where they cannot worship because the church was asleep and not understanding its function, not understanding its mandate, not understanding the, its original agenda. And they thought we're just together to collect tithes and offerings and to sing. And they woke up. You know, the, the Bible where it says, while men slept, you know that scripture? Mm. While men slept, yeah. it says the thief planted tares. That's that's exactly what is happening, Dwayne, right now. The church is sleeping and tares, legislative tares are being planted because the church doesn't understand her responsibility. She doesn't understand the original kingdom mandate. She doesn't understand her agenda, the purpose that God has put her there for. And while the church slept, the enemy has been planting legislative tares to take away her freedom of religion, her freedom to worship because the church slept and the enemy planted tares. Rev, I'm going to actually say something that m- once again might make me a very unpopular presenter, but it's okay. I don't care. Um, well, you, no, it's okay because, listen, you can join me because I'm yes. <laughs> so very unpopular so, Rev, in certain circles, but the truth will make you unpopular. You said something just now. You said that the, the, the thief comes to come steal. Yeah. I, I, I want to say Kill this. Yeah, yeah. But I, I want to say this, and I've I got to be careful how I do this because this can sound very dangerous. But there's a difference between stealing and free willing giving. All right? And yeah. I, I want to say yeah. this that if you are a pastor that has been forewarned about these things, that has been informed that this is your mandate and that this is your responsibility, when you find yourself without a church a couple of years down the line from now, it's not because the devil came to steal, it's because you free willingly right. gave it. Because you chose not yeah. to do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you opened a legal door, basically. You know, the, the enemy doesn't have power. Yeshua defeated everything at the cross. So if you open a door and give him legal permission, you know, he's going to come in. And when we don't take up our mandate, when we don't take up uh, 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 our position, where we're supposed to be. You know, when God blessed Abraham in Genesis twenty-two seventeen, he said, he said, he talked about uh, possessing the gates. And he said, I will bless you. And then he talked about possessing the gates of the enemies. So our responsibility is to occupy, to take up space, to possess all those gates, the communication gates, the legislative gates, the governmental gates, the science and technology gates, the arts and sports gates, whatever gates are out there, our responsibility is to possess those gates. Whoever put the gates are a place of exit and a place of entrance. Uh, if you read the Bible, you always find that somebody was sitting at the gate. Mordecai was seated at the gate, watching what goes in and out. He was a gatekeeper. He was a watchman. Absalom, who was rebellious, was also sitting at the gate. Because whoever sits at the gate determines what goes in and out. And as the church, we are supposed to be having watchmen and, and, and gatekeepers who determine what can come into our city and what cannot come into our city. That is our responsibility right there. That is our responsibility right there, is to exactly make sure that we sit at the gates and we disallow what must not come into our city and our nation, and we allow only that which God wants into our, our nation. So awake, awake, O oh church. Um, in Isaiah 51, verses 17 to 19, if you read that whole scripture, it talks about Jerusalem. It says, awake, awake, O Jerusalem. And then it says that there are no sons to guide her, to guide Jerusalem, you know, to take her by the hand 
and guide her. And this is what I want to declare and proclaim to South Africa. And I want to proclaim to South Africa right now. And I want to say, awake, awake, oh, South Africa. Awake, awake to every province. I want to declare, awake, awake to the watchmen, to the gatekeepers. And I say to you, awake, awake, oh, South Africa. Awake, awake, Kauteng province. Awake, awake, Northwest province. Awake, awake, Eastern Cape and Western Cape and Northern Cape. Awake, awake, Mpumalanga and Free State and Limpopo. Awake, <laughs> awake and take the nation by the hand. You are sons, the sons of God. Take the nation by the hand and, and, and legislate. Take the nation by the hand and guide her. Guide her righteously. For righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Awake, awake. Every city, every town, every township. Let's <laughs> rise up, South Africa. Arise and shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. May God give us hard foreheads that we will take this nation for Yeshua, that we will not be afraid, but we will stand for righteousness. We will stand for truth. And we will stand for justice. We are the sons of God. Psalms 24, 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it and its inhabitants. South Africa belongs to God. Mm. South African citizens belong to God. What that means is that as sons of God, if everything belongs to our father, we are called to rise up and to steward our father's estate, to manage our father's estate. The whole world belongs to God and it is a part of our father's estate. South Africa, it's time to stop being complacent. <laughs> it's time to stop being uncomfortable. Mm. It's time to stop being in your little corner. It's time to arise and shine. It's time to take possession. It's the possess the gates. It's time to sit on those gates. It's time to occupy and do business till he comes. It's time to do it's time to take up authority come on south africa get now for it's catch says figile the time is now Need I say anything more? <laughs> Reverend Paul Coupe. Guys, it's been a privilege spending time with you. If you want to send this to anyone, please go to Radio Pulpit's Facebook, uh, yeah, Facebook page tomorrow, our website tomorrow. You can send me a mail. If you want to get a hold of Reverend Paul Coupe, the podcast will be available tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. We've got to distribute this. Rev, our time has run out. I can't wait for the next time again. We need to get our hashtag going. Thanks for your time, Rev. Let's do it. Hashtag Church Challenge. <laughs> absolutely. What an awesome privilege to be spending time with her in Paul Coupe. What a legend. I just absolutely love her. If you want to get a hold of her, please make contact with me. Send me a mail, dwayne at radiopulpit.co.z.